His Aubrey Maturin stories enthralled me for so many years that I began to fret for anything remotely comparable for the cavalry of that period, until eventually I found the resolve to attempt myself to do something about it. He has been most generous in giving me advice and encouragement. I must acknowledge perhaps my greatest debt, however, to Paula Levy, Mrs. Piers Fletcher, soldier's daughter, soldier's sister, and wife of a former soldier, who, as editor of the early manuscript, knew exactly what was what, and never flinched from telling me. To the Light Dragoons Formerly the 13th, 18th, and the 15th, 19th Hussars in whose history, character, and personalities I have found much inspiration for this story. A Close-Run Thing O oh, pity the condition of man, gracious God, and save us from such a system of malevolence in which all our old and venerated prejudices are to be done away, and by which we are taught to consider war as the natural state of man, and peace but as a dangerous and difficult extremity. Sir, this temper must be corrected. It is a diabolical spirit, and would lead to interminable war. At what time did we ever profit by obstinately persevering in war? Charles James Fox to the House of Commons the 3rd of February, 1800. 1814 Britain had persevered in war with revolutionary France with but one short break since 1793. The Royal Navy at Aboukir in 1798 and Trafalgar in 1805 had confined Bonaparte to Europe. British money had financed the Allies when they were ready to come forward. And a British army in the Iberian Peninsula had, from 1809, maintained a front which had drained French resources and given hope to other Europeans. By the beginning of 1814, Bonaparte could defend only France. Russian, Prussian and Austrian armies were closing in from the east, while the British, already in the Pyrenees, stood ready to invade from the southwest. It's 1814, and Napoleon's power is waning. The French leader is hard-pressed to defend France from a combination of Russia, Prussia, Austria, and Britain. However, he's not the only one with problems. The young British cornet, Matthew Hurley, is in a somewhat unusual situation. As far as he knows, it's highly irregular to be arrested on a battlefield, especially after a successful defensive action. Still, this is hardly the first time that politics has intervened in war, and as Hervey's career progresses, he's increasingly forced to balance the two, with sometimes more success than others. And now, a close-run thing. Part 1. Pride and Prejudice But if you cannot make peace with Bonaparte in the winter, we must run at him in the spring. The Marquis, later the Duke of Wellington to the Cabinet, 10th of January, 1814. 
Chapter One. In the heat of battle, the convent of Saint Mary of Magdala, Toulouse, twelfth of April, eighteen fourteen. It is a very singular thing indeed, Mister Hervey, for a cornet to be placed in arrest upon the field of battle. Joseph Edmonds was deploying all his considerable facility with words. In order to convey the gravity of the matter at hand, tell me, if you please, precisely and dispassionately, the circumstances by which this was brought about. Cornet Hervey stood rigidly to attention before the major's desk, his left hand clasping the sword scabbard to his side, his right hand clenched, with a thumb pointing downwards along the double yellow stripe of his overalls. His eyes were set front.